Hello and welcome to this season two of the From the Moon podcast with me, David Pleasant. This year has seen the opening of the 23rd International Exhibition of Triennale Milano. It is entitled Unknown Unknowns, an Introduction to Mysteries, and so on each episode we try to unpack a different component of this quite literally unknowably vast subject matter. There are whole spheres of knowledge, basically every arena of human inquiry going back to antiquity. We can find examples of artists, architects, engineers trying to think through problems of observing the world around us. What do we think that we know about the universe? And could or should we even be attempting to know everything? Perhaps we can learn to coexist with life's mysteries. We'll be asking all these questions and many, many more here on From the Moon. During the course of this series, we'll be speaking to artists, designers and scientists who will guide me, your host, on this journey through knowledge and understanding. In this episode four, we are going to look at a vital part of knowledge when it comes to understanding both the surface of our own planet or indeed any part of the universe. From the Mississippi Delta in Louisiana to an icy moon of the distant planet Saturn, today we're going to see how geography and design, as well as art and science, fuse to create the maps we often take for granted. According to the Cambridge English Dictionary, mapping is the activity or process of creating a picture or diagram that represents something. It is easy to forget that a map is precisely that. It is a picture that, whether it be drawn by hand, painted, etched, printed or digitally rendered, is created by us humans. And when it comes to what that map represents, things are far from simple there too. A map might represent a set of measurements, complex data or perhaps just a vague memory. And how have people gone about mapping the unknown? This episode of From the Moon will be charting all of that scientific and artistic terrain. But first, we hear from Amsterdam-based graphic designer Irene Stracuzzi, who told me about her contribution to the Unknown Unknowns exhibition on show now at Triennale Milano. My name is Irene Stracuzzi. I'm a graphic designer uh, and I work for uh, cultural organisations. Um, and for my own practice, I like to look at data and information and how to translate this data into a story. So something that can be easily understood by the public through a visual outcome. And usually this outcome is physical, like an installation or something spatial. If we kind of focus in on what you've contributed to the Unknown Unknowns exhibition, you focused your work on visualising a particular planet or a moon in fact that is Enceladus is that how you pronounce it how, how do we Enceladus but I Enceladus Enceladus okay Enceladus which is a moon of Saturn can you take us to Enceladus and how you've attempted to represent it in the show actually the research process started very early on uh, about a year before the exhibition because the curator wanted me to uh, show water in space uh, and what it means for, for finding life in the universe. So in the end, we set on this specific moon, which is not the only moon in the solar system that has water, but it's very interesting 
for us to look at because it has a lot of geological and hydrothermal activity inside the planet. So this could mean that there could be potentially life that if we were able to actually access the inside of Enceladus, maybe we would be able to find life in the solar system. So that's what uh, the installation is trying to show. Uh, by showing a slice of the planet, you're able to see inside and then I kind of imagine what could be in there because we don't have images, obviously, of the inside of Enceladus. So I try to, to show what could be there potentially. And um, I kind of wanted to kind of touch on the relationship between science and, and, and mapping. There's obviously there's a lot of space there for the skills of a designer and an artist to kind of fill that void. And it's quite interesting how you translate that data visually how did you go about tackling that lack of knowledge is that where imagination takes over yeah so it's it's quite difficult to map what you don't know and like show data that you don't have so I'm quite happy to have the position of a designer because I'm not if I were a scientist I would be constrained by you know being accurate and as a designer I can take the information that is available and use that as a base to then show something that's I can imagine being there. And then the communication is not about the specific data or quantitative information. It's more about uh, how can we imagine life, different life in another planet and more communicating the limits, also the limitations of science and what we don't know yet, which is what the exhibition is about. Do you feel like it's a kind of a bit of a metaphor for the role of a designer in general? Because in a way, does it matter if it's known or, or not known? It's about this kind of message. You're kind of taking the lead as a designer because you're kind of translating whatever message to a viewer. So, I think it's important that the viewer understands what you're representing. So if it's accurate information, they should be able to tell. Also, if it's not accurate, like in this case, they should be able to understand that. But besides okay. that, I like the freedom of being able to, uh, to imagine and to, to visualize anything, which is what the designers can do as opposed to scientists. So I really like this uh, collaboration between art and science because we can create something that our professions alone don't let us create normally. In many ways, we can see mapping itself as a perpetual collaboration between art and science. The data that goes into a map would be nothing without the visualisation skills of the designer. And similarly, if we want to look at a map that is not entirely fictional, we need technical and scientific skills to be able to render an image from the information at hand. I wanted to know more about what draws Irene Stracuzzi to maps. I really like geography and cartography, and I think that's why also the, uh, the curator asked me to participate, uh, because most of my projects tackle uh, or are visualized through uh, geographic information. I find it very easy to, that's how I think, I like to think geographically and spatially. Uh, but in this case, it was a bit different than usual, because usually I work with specific data and usually I work with the world, the Earth. I've never worked with space data or information, so that was very new to me in that sense, how to the type of information is different because we don't need to be that accurate. No one knows this planet. I don't need to say to show specific coordinates or something. So it was usual, like my usual way of working, but I also had to kind of uh, rearrange it to a new, new planet, a new yeah, space. <laughs> yeah, a moon, in fact. 
finally, if we kind of go back to that moon, Enceladus, if we go, imagine that we're there. When you were researching it and you have spent quite a long time researching that moon, what's on the surface and, and also what might lie underneath the oceans of water, what struck you most as kind of the most intriguing element that you came across? What really kind of wowed you as a sort of explorer, as a researcher? Funnily enough, I was more intrigued by scientific research and how we are able to tell what's inside this planet without having been inside, actually, uh, rather than the planet itself. So during the research, I was uh, talking a lot with a researcher from the European Space Agency, uh, astrophysicist that, that focuses on icy moons. I had a lot of questions about how do we know the stuff that's inside this moon. And uh, so I asked a lot of technical questions about the instruments that we have, uh, what kind of data we and use. Did, did you feel like you got some understanding of that? Or is it just stuff that is just far too complex for us, you know, mortals, non-scientists <laughs> no, I to, think it's to, to understand? It's just incredible that because Enceladus is ejecting plumes from the surface. So by studying this water vapor, basically we can... Uh, make guesses about what's inside. So from studying something very, very small, we're able to tell the whole structure of a, a big moon. So that was my, uh, that was the most impressive thing I discovered by researching it. Right. So it's kind of the actual technicalities of how you research something so far away and so sort of distant. It was, was Because was to most... me, this unknown unknowns is really has to do with us with humans and how we explore space and how we research things. So already to know what you don't know, you need to be quite advanced in your knowledge, right? So I, I was trying to figure out uh, how the information about Enceladus came from. And uh, it doesn't really translate in the, in the installation because I wanted to show them the results of this research, of these scientific endeavors. But for me, the research process was really uh, amazing, actually. That was Amsterdam-based graphic designer Irene Stracuzzi there talking to us about her installation depicting Saturn's icy moon Enceladus on show now at Unknown Unknowns. From mapping with very little data available, a planet millions of kilometres away in our solar system, to trying to understand that process of depicting geography a little closer to home. When we think about unknown unknowns, we naturally tend to think of distant realms of space and time, big questions of what might lie beyond that which is even conceivable. However, as our next guest on From the Moon will tell us, this process of mapping the unknown started with attempting to calculate what might be around us, but is not in our field of vision. Professor Leslie Geddes of Tulane University, New Orleans, and I discussed maps from all perspectives. My name is Leslie Geddes. I'm an assistant professor of art history at Tulane University in New Orleans. And my area of specialty, I'm an early modern art historian, but basically all of my work is at the intersection of the history of art and history of science. Well, that's great because... Um that kind of uh, intersection is exactly what we're trying to explore on this episode, but in general with the whole series and dare I say the whole exhibition at the Triennale, the Unknown Unknowns exhibition, which really brings together those fields, whether it's designers, scientists, artists, it's really that cultural space between science and art. So 
Within the context of this episode, we are trying to look at how one can map the uncharted. How can we map that which we don't know? And to start with, I just wanted to kind of get a historical perspective, an art historical context, really, how people have gone about doing that. How have people represented that which they can't possibly know that's there, the unknown, or they don't even know what they don't know, if you see what I mean. No, that's, that's actually an amazing question that you're putting your finger on. And in fact, you know, within the context of this episode, I know we're going to be trying to talk about mapping in particular, so sort of cartographic approaches to thinking through primarily space. But I would extend that concept outward and say that there are whole spheres of knowledge, basically every arena of human inquiry going back to antiquity, we can find examples of artists, architects, engineers trying to think through problems of observing the world around us. So for me, in my scholarship, when I think about the kind of guiding questions that move forward my inquiry as an early modernist, I think primarily about this problem of the limits of vision. That might be a good place to start because it has these attendant problems of artistic representation. And the way that we go from the limits of what we can see and how we know the world around us to cartography is a pretty simple one. Think of, you know, a body in space, like any, you know, any one of us kind of taking a walk in our own neighborhoods or the places that we live. And then think and jump to those abstractions that we're all really familiar with, right? Like using our phones to navigate by Google Maps, and et cetera. And how there's actually a very sharp and striking dissonance between those experiences of the world. And it's that toggling between bodily enactment, our own experience of landscape and place, and pictorial representations of it that often rely heavily upon abstraction. It's that disjuncture that I'm interested in bringing forth in my new research, looking at cartography and navigation in the late 16th through the 17th, and indeed into the 18th century. So if we look at maps as pictorial, often abstract representations of landscapes and places, then who is making the map? Indeed, the map maker is quite an elusive figure in the history of art. Do we consider this person an artist, a scientist, or maybe a designer? Leslie explains further. As somebody who focuses primarily on the early modern period, you know, what we might think of as a map maker, that category of individual was a really quite flexible role. So, for example, just to bring in um, one truly stupendous and, and quite quite early example of a, a stunning um, innovative map, I want to bring in Leonardo da Vinci. So, for example, his very famous city map of Imola, and it's famous for being this ichnographic plan, so meaning it was a uh, a highly spatially accurate representation of this city. I love this map for many reasons, not, not uh, least of which is that my, my earliest work, my first, my first book uh, called Watermarks, is all about Leonardo da Vinci's approach to, to knowing the natural world and, and thinking through issues related to cartography. But also I love this map in particular because it shows you that even the terrain that you inhabit, particularly for folks in the Renaissance, had aspects of it that were fundamentally unknown. 
So the beautiful little story around this is, of course, that he's stuck in Imola, they're under siege, he's working for Cesare Borgia, right? And whereas many of us might pick up, you know, a small hobby here or there if you're in lockdown, right? This is all sounding very familiar in the recent past. Leonardo goes out and surveys the city and makes this, this tremendous document. And I like that because it kind of presses forward that we don't even have to go very far to these kind of unknown far shores to find challenges of description, challenges to knowledge, challenges to to perception, right? And this is where cartography is truly, really special. And you often have these individuals who are not trained, you know, in and of themselves as map makers, but they're really artists slash architects, artists slash architects slash engineers who pick up surveying, pick up uh, techniques of map making in the capacities that they're operating in, whether they're working as primarily engineering consultants, like somebody like Leonardo, towards later on, especially as you go through the latter 16th century and into the 17th century and beyond, folks who are really interested in putting together, uh, for example, printed atlases, right? We've got this, um, this massive explosion, I would say, starting towards the end of the 16th century, like 1580s, thereabouts, where you start uh, feeding this mass appetite for collections of printed maps, particularly of terrain that might be new or foreign to, you know, the, the reader who would want to acquire such a lavish book. So I'm folding in a couple of different things here, but I want us to think about a kind of slightly more nuanced understanding of, of who a map maker is and the strategies that they have, and also fold into that, of course, an, an understanding and acknowledgement of the, the viewer or receiver of that knowledge. In fact, when I was preparing to speak to Leslie Geddes, I focused my amateurish cartography research on maps themselves. And here I have to admit that I have always loved maps. As a child, I would trace maps from the large atlas of the world I was given one Christmas. I guess the key to this fascination was the feeling of exploration, of understanding the geography of the world in a very direct way. But aside from a very young me, we should consider who exactly different maps are made for, as Leslie calls them the viewers or receivers of this knowledge. And this brings us to what could be called the golden age of map making, which coincided with European colonialism in the Americas. Leslie has been focusing on the French mapping of the complex, ever shape-shifting and ultimately unknowable watery landscape of the Mississippi Delta in Louisiana. With a terrific colleague of mine here at Tulane, another art historian, Adrian Anagnost, we've been looking at these maps and plans that are primarily pen and ink and watercolor, so they're unique objects depicting the watery environs where the Gulf of Mexico meets the Mississippi River. This, um, and I'm, of course, I understand that your, your listening audience is, is, of course, not understandably perhaps not so super familiar with Louisiana. This is some of the most complicated uh, wetland terrain along the southern coast of the U.S. And this juncture where the Gulf of Mexico meets the Mississippi River, you know, this tremendous artery that goes, you know, basically north to, north to south, you know, wending its way through the continental U.S., is going to understandably be very important um, for folks who are seeking to control access uh, either via the Gulf Coast 
or up and down the Mississippi River. And the maps and plans we're looking at uh, range from a variety of dates. You know, or the earliest maps that we found are Spanish, but it's really the French um, around the late, let's see, the late 17th century into the first decades of the 18th century that they really lay, lay claim to this terrain. And they build a fort, in fact. It's a fort by the name of La Belice, the beacon. And we've been looking at plans and maps of this fort in part uh, because they're actually quite beautiful objects, the way that they're so attentive to this really rich ecotone, this really rich ecological terrain. But they also show all of the ways that these cartographers and engineers are absolutely baffled by what they see, right? We have lots of different waters at play. This is a environmental landscape unlike anything that you would, of course, find on the continent. And so they're struggling to adapt their own already well-established means of making military maps to this very difficult terrain that's in constant flux. Terrain that, in fact, in that word itself suggests land, of course, but really what we're talking about are very, various different ways of, of, of waterways, different types of waterways that are constantly in flux. And it's that kind of problem of where cartography, in essence, fails because cartography is fixed. A map is a, is, you can think of it, you know, in modern terms, like a snapshot, right? For terrain that even within the scope of a day with high, you know, high tidal waters and low waters and all of that was fundamentally unstable. And that as a problem of representation, a problem of knowing landscape and of rendering it in a way that was understandable. These were maps that were sent to an administrative office back to France, right? Open up all these questions about legibility. And I think that's quite exciting within a cartographic context. That's fascinating. And also kind of makes me think that really plus sachant in some way, because if we think of Google capturing the current state of a landscape, of roads. That's an ongoing process of recapturing and uh, maps becoming outdated. So there's this kind of like perennial quest to be accurate, but maybe unless we had a kind of live stream of a landscape, which maybe is something that, that is happening, the monitoring and visualization of the world from a satellite, for instance. Uh, but um, unless we're doing that, it's actually very difficult to get a completely accurate realization of what not just is that. out there. Well, it's also, it raises questions, and this is, you know, the perennial problem of, of maps of any period, right, including to the present day. You have to, by necessity, limit the kinds of information you're going to contain in them, right? If they are going to be useful, you need to filter out the noise. And how can one do that, in a way, and still retain some of the richness or complexities of place? So essentially, I'm, I'm thinking about geography as posing special problems in this, you know, this kind of test case of us looking at this, this French material um, from the late 17th and early 18th century. But these are also perennial design problems, right? Thinking about how can one capture and best represent in ways that are ever more flexible on the one hand, but also in this, you know, the word accurate you've been using as well, right? But also are accurate. And we have to really question what we mean by accuracy. Sure. It's, it's entirely subjective, I guess. Yeah, or contingent, I would say. It's contingent on what you, what you need it for. Um, I think there can be quite beautiful, very reductive, you know, kind of limited information maps that get the job done, right? So depending on what the context is. So it's not necessarily about um, a volume of detail, but I think a kind of uh, 
a sensitivity to the, the task at hand, what it needs to do. So rather than simply looking at the object that is a map and trying to evaluate how accurate or not it might be, we need to understand what the map is for as well as who made it and in what cultural context. Leslie is currently researching the story of those French maps of Louisiana, along with the work of many other, mainly Italian, cartographers spanning several centuries in a book project called Weapons of Atlas. The abstract for her research, in a way, pitches two sides of map-making against each other, or at least attempts to find links between the science of map-making and what Leslie calls the artistic representation as a pictorial idiom of land and sea. Essentially, the kind of big question that I started with was this curiosity about how certainly we can, we can look at maps as objects and I can pour over them and, and we can talk about things like, you know, accuracy of various kinds or innovations and various strategies and so forth, even things like readership and utility, uh, themes of copying, artistic agency, you know, things around media, for example, you know, pen and ink versus printed editions and all of that. But partly that is so emphatically centered on the end product. And essentially what I'm trying to do with this project, and I'm still really thinking my way through it, is to attempt to sort of reverse engineer a little bit. Because of course, we also know a great deal about uh, some of the methods that were used for surveying and navigating, right? So uh, technical instruments such as sextants and astrolabes and quadrants, these objects that have very long histories and that were constantly being fine-tuned and adapted for, you know, in the hope for ever more accurate, uh, updated maps, particularly when we have this this period of uh, westward expansion into the so-called New World on the part of Europeans. Of course, we're talking about the Americas, and they're seeking to produce and provide uh, ever more accurate maps, not just of coastlines, but of uh, the interiors of these these terrains that they are uh, embarking on this imperialist and colonialist enterprise in terms of seeking to both know, but also, you know, mine for resources and resources of various kinds, right? So for me, what is prompting my, my interest is less thinking about the end products as end products themselves, but to go back to that process of of surveying and navigating. Of course, Leslie is an art historian and is aware of the limits of her own technical knowledge, but she can nonetheless use the tools she has at her disposal. These include using her research skills that employ a thorough set of methodologies that could lead us to rethink the relationship between art and what she calls the bodily act of going out into a landscape and using mechanical and technical devices as a means of seeing. I'm sort of obsessed with this question of kind of going out into a place, say you're on a ship, right? And you have this instrument and you're taking your sight lines and you're figuring out your bearings and all of that. And it's entirely, maybe not entirely, but in large part dependent upon this instrument that renders or helps you interpret your place in the world via this combination of uh, quantitative information, right? Actual measurements and maybe also you know, degrees, geometry, and so forth. And somehow you're left with this mass of of data, 
what happens to that mass of data and how it kind of, it's almost like this magical process, right? And I know this is a podcast, but kind of imagine me pantomiming gestures of kind of mad cooking, right? That generates a map at the end of the day. So Leslie's goal is to further understand what she calls this magical process of map making. For her, there seems to be a big gap in the scholarship of cartography. Particularly absent is the understanding of how map makers in the past got from A to B, metaphorically speaking. How did they quote unquote see through their map making instruments? And more importantly, how did those tools mediate their vision? How did the scientist artist use this partial information to create the abstracted image we call a map? And maps are, of course, abstractions that are that remove the body by and large, right? This sense of a vantage point that could never be obtained, certainly in the early modern period, right? And I'm trying to return some of that oddity to that process. So that was my kind of big motivating question for this new project. And in trying to begin to carry it out, I've been focusing on a number of mostly Italian or Italy-based cartographers to think through um, these novel new modes of, of printed uh, map treatises. So I'm trying to do lots of different things here, but I hope that that gave you a, a bit of a sense of, of some of the terrain, um, intellectual terrain I'm thinking about. <laughs> Feels like uh, there's so many metaphors with mapping. We started our conversation with that, the concept of vision, of the limits of our vision, and that's the kind of basis of, of all map making. So I think it's a good place to end Thank you so much, Leslie. That was great. David, it was a real pleasure. Thank you. Leslie Geddes of Tulane University in New Orleans there, bringing us to the end of episode four of From the Moon, in which we have mapped out the interconnected scientific and artistic dimensions of cartography. We have learned that as much as an object itself, in this case a map, can tell us about the geography it depicts, the map maker must also be understood. We have seen how a map tells us how much its designer, combining science and art, knows about the world around them. And of course, we can also see what they don't know from our perspective. Objective and yet subjective, a map remains a very mysterious thing. This podcast is brought to you by Triennale Milano. It was written and presented by me, David Pleasant, with production support from Pale Blue Dot. Sound editing and design was by Alex Port Felix, and the theme music was created by John Arnold of Superdrama. Drama.